Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope you guys are having a good week. It's been a good week here. Had a productive day on Tuesday. Of course, we went and covered the Mississippi State victory over the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff. Started at 11 in the morning on a weekday. I don't know that I've done that before. Had to think long and hard about that. Hadn't had too many morning starts during the week. Chris Simonis informed us on Sunday we needed to play the game. Pine Bluff's coming up from New Orleans. They couldn't play on Wednesday. They found a window. We got the game in. Had some pretty rough weather in the area. Hope that you guys are okay from that. No property loss and certainly hopefully no loss of life. All this humidity in February is not encouraging, is it? It's not. Having to run the air condition in February a little bit unexpected. Yeah, we live in the South, but uh, this is still kind of atypical for us. Want to provide you guys a dog pile shipping update. My hope is this is the last one we have to discuss until, uh, you know, maybe May. How about that? So on Tuesday, you know, I get up and I got a couple messages and said, hey, just want to get a little update. And, um, you know, I've had several of those, starting to get less and less of those. I went from getting about 25 per day to one or two. So we're getting it taken care of. But uh, reached out to the publisher. We had made plans to meet on Wednesday and, uh, and sign some books and personalizations. And I said, hey, I tell you what, let me get this ball game done. Let me get the Diamond Dogs a win in the uh, victory column. And how about I just head down there and we'll get this thing done. 
So I went down there, and so basically here's what needs to be articulated to each and every one of you. If you have bought a book from the dogpile.com, dogpile the book website, your book has been signed. It doesn't matter if you bought it in September, October, November, December, January, or February. If you bought a book up through yesterday, it has been signed. Chances are it has already been packaged. Many of you, if you haven't already, will get an email showing that your order is complete. May go to your spam. May not. May go directly to your inbox. But uh, you'll get notification. So they're going to spend today and tomorrow finishing those things up. Had a little technical difficulty there. Hopefully that doesn't show up on the, on the show. Um, but yeah, so they're getting it all done today. So in that email that you'll get, and it's not a, a perfect protocol because sometimes your email server uh, doesn't communicate well with that of the website. In that email that shows your order is complete, it'll be a tracking number. And you should be able to click there and track your book. Now here's the deal too. If the post office doesn't scan that tracking number in, you're not going to be able to get updates, and that's kind of beyond our control. So give it a few days. If you haven't already received your book, you should have it in a few days. If you hadn't heard, hadn't got it by midweek next week, hit me up. Absolutely hit me up. So here's the deal. This week, signings. So Thursday, which is tomorrow, I will be at Friendly City Books in Columbus uh, for the first time. For the first time. Excited about that. That's a nice little bookstore and uh, eager to get over there. They have all the books except for Blooms of Oleander. I'm going to bring them some stock tomorrow. And then if it uh, does well there, they can uh, order some more. So here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow in Columbus, that's 3 to 5. Thursday, February 24th, Friendly City Bookstore, Columbus, 3 to 5. That's downtown. If you're unfamiliar, you can uh, Google it. You can uh, find it on your Maps app on your phone. Friday... I will be Barnes & Noble before the game on campus for the first time. Pretty cool, right? Uh, game's going to start at 3, which means I'll probably sign books. I would suspect probably maybe 11 to 2. Uh, be looking on social media for actual updates on that, and I'll remind you guys Friday morning. So if you're coming to the game Friday, if you can make an afternoon matinee start, Swing by Barnes & Noble, and you can see my smiling face. Now, on Saturday, I'm actually going to miss the ball game, which is rare for me, but I'm going to miss the ball game. I will be at the Ridgeland Barnes & Noble from 2 to 4. Won't make it back in time to uh, finish at the ball game. That'll be part of it. You know, going to miss a few games this year. I hate it, but, you know, duty calls. And then Monday, you find folks in Tupelo. I'm going to be at Reed's Gumtree Bookstore for the first time. And that's going to be a 3 to 5.30 deal. 3 to 5.30. Now, here's the deal, too. They've had to reschedule a couple times because Mother Nature hasn't really cooperated with us. So when we finish the show today, I'm going to drive to Tupelo. If you've already pre-purchased books through the Gumtree Bookstore, I'm going to go sign those today. You've waited long enough. And so we'll go get that knocked out. That way you can run over there, pick up your books here in the next day or two uh, there in Tupelo. Excited to be a part of that and partner with those fine folks. Then Tuesday, March 1st, I will be in my hometown of Columbia, Mississippi. It's where I was raised. I'll be at Second Street Bean from 1130 to 130. 
Then on Wednesday, looks like we're going to be able to do a, um, a signing uh, there at the ballpark at Trustmark. That appears to be the case. I will finalize those details and let you guys know. Excited about that. We'll partner with uh, College Corner. They actually have the book there. So that's going to be March the 2nd, Wednesday at Pearl. And again, details uh, to follow on that. That Thursday, I'll be at Capitol Grill in Jackson, March the 3rd. And in Baton Rouge, you guys claim me as one of your own for 16 years. I'll be down there next Monday, March 7th. That'll be a Drusilla's Seafood event with the MSU Alumni Association. And the NAFL Championship Trophy will be there too. So that kind of gets you up to date on what's going on. Yes, I'm getting a lot of windshield time in. Yes, I'm getting a lot of uh, practice signing my signature. I don't know that you could forge it because I don't know that I write it the same way twice. So if you see that little scribble above my name on a title page, that's your, that's your personalization, or that's your, uh, your signed book. We've had some personalizations too, and I want, I want to mention this too. Um, there were a couple we missed, I guess you could say. I mean, when you process 5,000 books, you know, you're only human, you're going to make some mistakes. So I apologize for that. Uh, find me out somewhere. We'll, we'll be happy to remedy that. Uh, you know, the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, I want to make sure that everybody's happy. Now, one of the things too about personalizations, I think it's important to understand this too. When I'm writing the personalization, I am writing from me. I am not writing on your behalf. Some of you uh, and I love you to death. I do. You've asked me to write, you know, like to my loving husband or whatever. That, that I'm not doing that. You can write whatever you want to in the book. You can write your own inscription. You can have a uh, card that goes along with it. But I'm not writing and uh, basically revealing my love for your significant other in the book. Outside of that, I'll write pretty much whatever you want, long as it doesn't contain any profanity. So, again, don't know how we're going to do personalizations moving forward. It, and I'll be honest with you, it has slowed the process down a little bit. You know, so maybe in the future, the only personalizations we do will be a book signing. It's just, you know, not sure how I feel about it yet. Still talking about that with my agent. But, again, if you have ordered a book through the dogpiledthebook.com website, it has been processed unless you order today. And chances are, if you order today, it may have been processed too. But I can't guarantee you that. I can tell you that all the books that were purchased prior to today have been signed and are being packaged for delivery so be watching your email and again if you don't get the email don't panic if you don't because we've had some people that didn't get the email and then their books show up the next day As a matter of fact i had one today a longtime boneyard listener been patiently waiting checked in with her yesterday she goes no i haven't gotten an email i checked with the publishers i'm there last night that email was sent for some reason they didn't get it and then they got their book this morning so don't panic it's, a, it's been a process, but it's all being taken care of. And again, there's some people that, uh, you know, they don't get any credit. You know, it's my name on the book. And, uh, you know, I guess in many respects, I get both the blame and the credit. But there are a lot of people out there that are kind of doing a thankless job. And so I do my part to try to make sure they know uh, how valuable they are to me uh, to get these things done. Again, there are people right now uh, in Madison, Mississippi, working to get your books in the mail. And uh, again, the commitment's been made to me as I share with you that everything will be mailed out this week and again thousands of you already have your books I mean I want to make it seem like that everybody's just kind of waiting with bated breath you know thousands of you have already gotten your books and read them and other people were eager to get them and uh, we also too last night I'm sitting there signing books and I look up and I see that John Martin has bought a book I don't I've met John before but I don't know John we don't have a personal relationship I noticed that the address is not too far from where I am 
at the time. I said, hey, we got to go pick up dinner anyway. Why don't we go drop off these books on the way? Didn't call them, didn't text them. We just showed up, knocked on the door. They were having supper. I think it was pepper steak, I think. They would have made me a plate, I'm sure. Knock on the door. A couple of young men answered the door, and I said, hey, is this John Martin's residence? Well, yes, it is. Is John here? Well, yes, he is. And I hear John in the background. Hey, that sounds like Steve. Oh, it is Steve. Yes, it was Steve. I have always wanted to do that. And I thought, you know what? Let's do this. Um, let's go surprise some people and make it really special. And so I wish I could do that for all you guys. It's just not practical. Uh, so we did that, and uh, a lot of smiles, a lot of handshakes, took a couple pictures, that sort of stuff. Uh, you guys are important to me. I don't always share that with you, I guess, but um, you are. You guys have been very loyal to me for many, many years. There's a reason, you know, this show has been going on as long as it has. And that's because you guys continue to tune in. There's a reason that jeanspage.com had the biggest year in its history in 2021. Part of that is the great work that our staff does there. The rest of that equation is you guys. You guys gobble up our content, whether it be free or VIP. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. And, and I meet people all the time at book signings and say, Steve, I have all your books. And they do. And for a guy that uh, didn't write his first book until 2017, you know, I've written five now in, in five years. It took me a lot longer to write Flim Flam than it did uh, Dogpile. But the reality of it is you guys have, uh, have been great to me and to my family. And on behalf of everybody that benefits from that, thank you very, very, very much. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. Love those folks that too. And one of the reasons why is dependability. There's a reliability and a dependability factor. Listen, I eat a lot of different places in Starkville. I do. And I'm not going to name some names, but sometimes I go and the service is a little, a little less than advertised. You know, went the other day to a place, and um, you know, probably what I get for not going to Bulldog Burger Company. I've been there a couple times, had a good experience. I go, and you know, it takes me forever. You know, I, I'm going for lunch. I end up you know, basically spending the afternoon. You're not going to get that at Bulldog Burger Company. Even when they're busy, they have, a lot of times they have adequate staff to be able to get to you right away. That's important. Absolutely important. Service matters. And it's not just the service that makes Bulldog Burger Company stand alone. It's the quality of the food. It's the quality of the experience, the quality of the atmosphere. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It is science. It is absolute science. I have seen some before and after pictures, and I can tell you it's true. It's absolutely true. And maybe it's because you smile more after you eat at Bulldog Burger Company. I know that I feel better after going. I don't have negative experiences there. I don't ever have to go and to go chase down, you know, my server to find out what's going on with my food. It didn't happen that way. Great food, great prices, great people, great company. Be sure and go check them out. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new in Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridgeland Flowood area, Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. Since we have been together, Mississippi State has won another intercollegiate college baseball game we expected to win we did and uh the reality of it is is uh you know offense was a struggle the first couple ball games have been better the last two ball games and i'm sure that the uh you know probably the true ability will uh, settle somewhere in the middle we're gonna be a good offensive team now we've shown that the last couple ball games and uh i'm sure this weekend we'll probably 
uh, have, have some gaudy numbers as well. And that's the thing, is finding the guys that you can depend on, finding guys that can produce quality at bats, and even when they get out, have productive outs, take some time. We have some veterans on this team. Uh, so a 17-1 to win yesterday. Let's break that down. Let's take some time and talk college baseball. We love college baseball here at Starkville. We do college baseball right. Now, Jackson Fristo, your starter, I thought he was outstanding. And you can say, well, Steve, you know, it's, uh, it's Arkansas Pine Bluff. That's not what I'm concerned about. He threw strikes. When he had some adversity, he battled through it. Last year, and, and I asked him about this in postgame, You know, last year, whenever we would have a little bump in the road, it's like Jackson would fold. He would. It's like all of a sudden, you know, the the burden and the mantle of Mississippi State's college baseball program rides upon the shoulders of Jackson Fristo. It's not true, but I believe that's how he felt, and he tried to do a little bit too much. Now it's like, well, I'm kind of scared to get hit because I don't know if the guys behind me can make plays. We didn't play great defense early in the year last year. Let's not forget – you know, the end of the year in Omaha, we were outstanding, the only team in the College World Series not to make an error. But earlier in the year, we made a lot of errors. And it seemed to happen to Jackson Fristo more than anybody else. And you've got a young pitcher pitching before he's ready. And he thinks, okay, well, i got to strike everybody out. So then we start nibbling a little bit. We don't really challenge hitters because we don't trust the defense. I know it's just one outing, but I thought he showed a lot more maturity yesterday. So you begin to think, okay, hey, what about the weekend? Well, I don't think you make any changes this weekend, but I think you, you have Jackson Fristo in the midweek, and so all of a sudden, if you have to make a change on the weekend, you've got a guy that's doing a better job. He has pretty good stuff. I won't say that he has Lennon Sim stuff, because very few pitchers in the country do. I don't even know if he has Kate Smith stuff. But I do think that he is a guy that's capable of getting SEC hitters out. And I think this is the right course of action. Give him the midweek, fine-tune some things mechanically, but also, too, kind of get some confidence. Very excited about what happened. And, again, you know, he went to work yesterday. Got a ground out to short to start, a ground out to second. I always feel like when guys are getting – if you're not getting a ton of swing and miss, but you're getting ground balls, you're doing your job. You're letting the defense make plays for you. Then we have one rifled back up the middle for a single. Rather than fold, we get a case winging. And went right after him. Really attacked the hitter. Bottom of first, State goes to work and and really put the ball game away in the first inning. Cam James, though, uh, pops the first pitch up to the catcher. We kind of laughed about it after the ball game. It's easy to laugh after you beat somebody by 16 runs. I was like, hey, how are you liking, you know, Leading off. Well, I hadn't really done real well in my first two leadoff experiences, but uh, the reality of it is he had some pretty good at-bats. Just not that first one. Exciting. Uh, Luke Hancock then grounds out the first. You think, okay, it's going to be a quick inning, but it wasn't. Logan Tanner then rifles one back up center field. They walk Hunter Hines. Jaeger then centers to center field, drives in the run. Wild pitch allows both runners to move up. You're thinking, hey, we talked about clutch hitting over the weekend. You need to make a play here. We hit a ground ball out to second, and uh, he bobbles it, allows uh, the run to score. Now it's a 2 nothing ball game, and the inning continues. Now we can say an SEC opponent will make that play. Well, we don't know that for sure. You would, you would certainly think so. But the reality is baseball is an imperfect game. Sometimes the game finds you. Brad Cumbus then um, does a great job here. He, he, he singles, it's an infield single. 
But Brad is getting down the line really, really quickly. I saw, noticed that on Saturday. I've always thought, you know, Brad's, you know, pretty physical, athletic guy. But even the plays at first where he's out, they're very competitive. He's putting a lot of pressure on the defense. And that's kind of, I think this is the byproduct of that. And we get another run in, 3 nothing. They walk Drew McGowan, who started in place of Kelvin Clark yesterday, to load the bases. Then Lane Forsyth singles to the shortstop, two more runs are in, and he hit that ball exceptionally well. I thought he really struck it well, really barreled it up, singles to the shortstop, and it was a legitimate base hit. Then K.J. is hit by the pitch, which puts runners at first and second, and you think, well, this inning's over. Nope, Luke Hancock rifles one back up the middle, drives in the two runs, it's 8 nothing. Then Logan's hit by the pitch, Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. So you bat around in the first inning, eight runs on five hits, one error, and we leave two on base. And at this point, the game is over. It's just a matter of what the final score is going to be. The difference in quality of the opponent uh, makes a difference because, you know, especially the midweek, you know, they're not going to throw, you know, superior or elite arms. Even their better guys are not going to throw those guys and let's set maybe an inning or so just to get them some work. But you're not going to face great pitching in the midweek, especially against a team like this. Uh, top of the second, we give up a single to left field, and again, we give up a leadoff runner, and rather than panic, rather than try to do too much, rather than nipple in the corners and try to get guys to swing the balls out of the zone, we attack De La Cruz, we get him swinging, we get a fly out to center, and then we get Leach uh, trying to steal. And I don't know why. I don't know why he broke for second, and Luke Hancock was behind the dish yesterday, and he guns him out. Bottom of second, State right back to work, building the lead. RJ grounds out to short. They walk Matt Quarter. Uh, then they walk Brad Compass. And at this point, you're beginning to realize these guys are, are in trouble. Compass uh, still second, and uh, Quarter is out at third, catcher to third base. McGowan then comes through with a single to drive in the run, make it 9 nothing, and then Forsyth strikes out looking. Honestly, I thought that was – uh, you know, Lane is a guy, too, is an elite defender. And I really thought yesterday would be kind of a breakout offensive game for him. He needs to kind of get some confidence in the box. Uh, and he had the big hit earlier. This was not one of his better ABs. But I, I'm, I am still on the Lane Forsyth bandwagon. I think he's going to be a great player for us. We get to top of third. We begin to kind of make some adjustments here. We, bring, we, we switch out the middle infield. We take Leggett uh, and Mesh and put them in for um, – Forsyth and Jaeger. Jess Davis goes into left field for Cumbus. And then Jackson Fristo is like, hey, that's cool. Strikes outside. Gets the eight, nine, and one hitters uh, very efficiently. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, we're, we're good. We've got good Jackson Fristo today. Bottom of the third, state breaks it open even more. They walk Cameron James. They walk Luke Hancock. They walk Logan Tanner to load the bases. We make a change there, bring in Bon Siebert for, uh, for Logan Tanner at the DH spot. And then Hunter Hines hit, is hit by the pitch, which uh, brings a run in. And they've gifted all that to us. And that's the thing, too. You only had one hit in the inning. Uh, you end up scoring a couple runs. Uh, Tanner Leggett reaches on a fielder's choice but gets the run home there. They force Hunter Hines at second. Uh, quarter grounds out to third. And, again, it's an RBI. It's Again, we talk about productive outs. Well, here you go. They gift you some base runners. You put the ball in play. They come in and score. Just Davis gets his first hit as a Bulldog with a single infield single. Uh, moves uh, Leggett to third. 
bring in Kellum Clark from McGowan and we get a fly out to left field. I, I, honestly, I think Kellum's probably trying to do a little bit too much. He's hitting the baseball very, very hard. But I think, you know, with a guy like him, they're not going to give him a ton of fastballs that he can turn around. You know, he's having, he's having to evolve a little bit as a hitter, and he will. I am a huge Kellum Clark fan. I know some of our fans, four games in, oh, we got to do this. Just relax. Just relax. The cream always rises at the top. Arkansas Pine Bluff, top of four. Again, we're getting pretty liberal here with our substitutions. Uh, Slate Offer comes in at third. Skinner then goes to center field, and Kellum Clark stays in the game. We give up a home run. And, but here's the thing, too. I am perfectly okay with this. In a 12-0 ball game, I want Jackson Fristo. I want anybody out there on the Bulldog mound. You challenge hitters, let's get the game over. You know, we're not throwing meat, but at the same time, too, we're going to go get these guys. You can't hit a 13-run home run in college baseball. Higginson flies out uh, to, to short left, and uh, Leggett runs it down. Uh, Martinez in Louisiana, they called that Martinez. Martinez singles back up the middle. We get a strikeout swing and, and then a ground out to short uh, to end the frame. So they finally get on the board. But again, you know, that's basically what was going to have to happen in order for those guys to score, provided we didn't gift them base runners. Is they were going to have to run into something? I didn't think they were going to be able to piece anything together. They absolutely couldn't. They make a change on the mound, uh, bring in a different pitcher. Frank Perez came in strong and then lost control. Uh, they bring in Guy. And, and the thing that I think about, too, is you guys know my oldest son, Ani, played college baseball. Played NAIA baseball, and it's probably his dad's fault. And even though we're very grateful for the opportunity and the experience he had at Williams Baptist University, uh, if I held him back a year, he's probably a Division One baseball player. And I see these guys that play at schools like these, and I think to myself, how in the world was he not a Division One baseball player when I see guys out there throwing 60 and 70 miles an hour? I don't get it. Either way. I guess that's the little league coach of me coming out, being a little bit sour-graved. Uh, so we get meshed to ground out to second. They walk Slate Offord. Hancock pops up to third. Sieber is then hit by the pitch, and then Hines flies out to left. And so they gift us a couple runners here. We don't make them pay. You say, well, see what's 12-1. Yeah, that's true. But the reality of it is when they're going to give people to us, we've got to be able to put the ball in play and move them around. And the problem is, is when you're facing 60 to 70 mile-per-hour pitches – you know, it's, it's hard to stay back. It's hard to stay back and make level contact. All right, top of five. We bring in Andrew Wally to make his Mississippi State debut. Fristo, again, four innings, and really happy with his effort. But more importantly, his poise. That's what happens when guys have some experience at this level. You throw those freshmen out there. Landon Sims wasn't great as a freshman either. That's what people forget. You know, and so – Fristo, I thought, again, one of his better outings, and he had some good ones for us last year. And it's not about the length. It's not about the win. It's not about number of pitches thrown. It's the fact that he showed a little mental toughness. There were times last year he really appeared to lose focus. I didn't think he did yesterday. I thought he was really locked in, and I think that bodes well for the future. First thing Walling does is walk a guy and then walks a guy. Scott Foxhall then comes out. We make an adjustment. Not exactly sure what was going on mechanically. We make an adjustment here, and we start getting some productive pitches. We get the uh, ground ball. Couldn't turn the double play, but we do force the runner. Uh, they make a change, and what do we do? We get Vasquez to hit into double play. So we walk two guys, and then we come back and get two ground balls to get out of the inning. And, and here's the thing, too, and I don't want to – I'm not trolling anybody here. The book on Andrew Walling, when we recruited him, is that this is a guy with electric staff, this is a guy with a major league arm, but control is an issue. Well, we've seen that. 
you know, we've got him too. You know, back in the fall, it's like, well, you know, we haven't been 100 percent. Then we get him in the spring, and he walks more than anybody else, walks as many as he strikes out. And so that's something we're going to have to figure out. When can we use him? Where can we trust him? My hope is he gets it figured out. Because seeing that guy out there throw it, that guy's got a big league arm. He absolutely does. And Fox will have to kind of get him where he needs to be. The thing that I've learned about baseball, too, though, is like at this point, you're kind of, you are who you are. Kind of a left-handed version of Eric Tarantola, Right. So my hope is they can get that figured out. Maybe it's maybe it's an arm path issue. I don't know. They get him on track, man. We'll figure it out. But we get out of the inning. Bottom of five, you know, State comes in. We get the run back here. And, again, we're making some changes. Uh, Tanner Leggett pulls the ball right down the line. It looked like it may go foul. Next thing you know, it's off the fair pole and into the bullpen. And uh, Jackson Fristo's down there pitching a simulated inning gathers the ball, gives it to Tanner Leggett, says, hey, give it to your dad. You know, we joke a little bit sometimes, too, in baseball circles. You know, when guys have warning track power, we say, hey, 10 more push-ups, that have been a home run. Well, it's clear that Tanner Leggett has put in those 10 more push-ups. He now leads you with two home runs on the year. And both of those have been dead pull shots uh, to left. You know, times last year, it's like I thought he tried to do too much rather than just kind of being a line drive guy. It's clear that the guy has really committed himself to the physical conditioning program, he's gotten stronger. I like Tanner Leggett. I like his makeup. I don't think that he is a guy that uh, will ever be a, quote, star. But you need guys like him. And I think he is a guy, based on what he has done defensively and what he's doing offensively, will keep the competitive pressure up on the middle infielders. And for that matter, uh, Cam James, too. You know, that's the thing. Leggett started at third last year when Cam DH'd. He started at second when Scotty DeBrule struggled some. He went in relief of Lane Forsythe. He can play all three of those spots in the infield. That's a nice luxury to have. A guy that's got, what, 24, 25 starts under his belt as a part-time starter, as a utility guy. How many schools in the SEC have that guy that has that level of experience? And not to mention one of the most iconic moments in Mississippi State baseball history, to be able to come through on that grand stage to send Mississippi State to the National College Baseball Final. This is a guy, too, that, you know, elected to come back. What, what a gift it is to have him back. And, and there are a lot of unheralded players for that NAFL championship season. You know, and I wrote about that in Dogpile. Everybody had a role. Everybody had a moment. Everybody had a play. Everybody had something where they made a significant contribution. And Tanner Leggett could have easily just ridden off into the sunset and be a guy that we bring back at Duty Noble Field every few years, and he would get a standing ovation because of his moment. But he's back to make some more moments. And uh, nice moment for him yesterday. With the Braylon Skinner and strikes out looking. And Bray is really struggling. Uh, he gets a hit later in this ball game, but he's just not seeing the baseball well. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, I guess he's had, what, five at-bats and four of them are Ks. That's got to get fixed. And then Davis is hit by the pitch. And Kellum Clark hits one on the absolute screws. It's a sinking line drive. The second baseman's able to dig it out, and then they force Davis on the play. And sometimes the game plays you tough, as Chris says. That's kind of how it was there. You know, Kellum hits that ball three feet either direction, and things rolling in the outfield. But it just so happens he hits it right to the guy. And, I'm, you know, Kellum's making contact. He's hitting the baseball hard. I, th- I think he's just maybe, maybe a BP session away uh, from where he needs to be. I'm not, I'm not worried about him. I've said that before, and, and I'll reiterate it. Kellum Clark is going to be a real factor for Mississippi State this year. A top of six – um, we bring in Pico Cohn, who I am a fan of. I guess he comes in uh, right after Wilding walks a leadoff hitter. 
Uh, they bring in Pico Cohn, and uh, he comes out to kickstart my heart from Motley Cruz, so we hope to hear him uh, pitch a lot. We'd like to see him come out there. He look, As Brian Haydad joked, he looks like a guy that could be in Motley Crew. I don't know if I go quite that far. I think that guy's me. Um, but, Pico, I, I appreciate the fact that you were, uh, you know, raising your fist to the gods of rock. All right, we get a ground out to short. Then we get a strikeout look and then a line out to second. So pretty efficient work there uh, by Pico. Bottom of six, a lot of changes for those guys. And then Davis Mesh absolutely murders a baseball to right center. You know, there are some balls that kind of leak over the fence. There are some balls off the bat you think, it's got a chance. Not this one. Oh, no. Oh, no. As soon as it left the bat, you knew that it was gone. You're like, holy smokes, who knew that Davis Mesh had that kind of power? Our dancing machine. You know, we hadn't done that, too. i got to find out what's going on with that. You know, whenever we get a one, two, three uh, inning on defense, you know, Davis Mesh would kind of lead the dance in the dugout. We hadn't done that this year. Not sure what's going on with that. Maybe that's been buried in 2021. I like guys that keep a dugout loose, and Davis Mesh is one of those guys. Good personality on the team. Nice to see him have a little bit of success. And, again, you want to keep your middle infielders working hard? Yeah, you let those guys like Tanner like it and Davis Mesh go out there and have some success at the plate. So it offered and strikes out looking. Luke Hancock singles to the right side. Siebert lines out to center. Actually hit it on the nose. And he has hit some baseballs really, really well. Doesn't have a lot to show for it. But he has hit some baseballs really, really hard. It's just a matter of time before they start falling for him. Uh, they walk Hunter Hines and then Tanner Leggett. Again, Tanner legend, dare I say. Wrote that article this morning. He doubles to left field. We drive in another run. Then Bray Skinner. And God bless that kid, man. What a great young man. He pulls through, gets a nice, solid single to center field, drives in two runs, makes it 17-1. to Jess Davis follows with a single. So a couple of hits for him. How about that? We talk about that center field competition. You're like, hey, well, Matt Quarter looked really good over the weekend. And now you've got, you know, a couple of guys he's competing with. When they give an opportunity, all of a sudden they're, they're putting ball in play. And Jess Davis is a guy, too, that, you know, is a gold glove defender. On the bench, think about that. We talk about depth. It's crazy. And then Kellen Clark flies out to center field. Actually hit the ball really, really well. Again, I think he's just close. Top of seven, uh, De La Cruz singles up the middle. They pinch hit. We get a strikeout swinging, a strikeout swinging, then a ground out short. That ends the ball game. There was an agreed-upon 10-run rule in the game. It's like once the game got a little bit gaudy, uh, they walked down and said, hey, they just agreed upon a 10-run rule after seven, and we knew we were trending in that direction. Just a matter of time. All right, let's look at the box score, too. Let's go back and kind of look and see these numbers and see how things went. So let's start number one with Jackson Fristo. Four innings pitched, four hits, one run, six Ks, no walks. The best number of that, the no walks. That's outstanding. Two fly outs, three ground outs. Very efficient in what he did. And again, I've I, I preached about it the entire show, about how impressed I was with his poise. If that continues, he could certainly be a factor in the midweek or on the weekend. And I think, you know, he wants to be on the weekend. Everybody wants to be on the weekend. But when you've got a guy like that that's kind of, you know, just waiting his turn, he's like, you know, Coach, I'm here if you need me. That's a nice luxury for Chris Lamonis to have. You know, because, again, you look at the weekend, I thought you had two quality starts. And I'm not going to sit here and, and talk poorly of Casey Hunt. I thought he pitched pretty well, too. Uh, he had a couple things to kind of get away from him. But uh, not ready to give up on him either. Guys had an outstanding fall for us and spring probably kind of coming into his own, but but there you are. You know, if KC's not the guy, then next maybe perhaps Fristo is. 
Walling goes the the one inning and walks three and uh, does not allow a hit. And that's the thing, too. The stuff is electric. He's got to make sure we get it in his own there. And then Pico Cohn comes in, goes two innings, allows the one hit, strikes out three, doesn't walk any. And you like that, too. You know, a freshman to come in. And, and how many times last year did we see that? How many times did you see Chris Simonis make that angry stroll out to the mound because we had a reliever in there that couldn't throw strikes? I can think of a handful of ball games where that happened. The Arkansas State game comes to mind where the game is lopsided and over and then we can't, get, we can't throw strikes. So you bring in a freshman like Pico Cohn, a very talented left-hander, and say, hey, go finish the game for us. And that's exactly what he does. He goes out there, he pounds his own, and then kind of earning some confidence too. That's a guy we're going to need to match up. And that's the thing I look at Cam Tuller. You know, Cam is kind of hit or miss at times. And so you're going to need to match up left-handers, or we're going to need Cam to come along. But here we go. Now all of a sudden you got Pico, and so you start thinking, hey, if i got to mix and match late, i got a couple guys I can work with. So it doesn't all fall to Cam Tuller. And I think that's good for both of those guys. So good pitching effort. Just allowed five hits over the seven runs. Four of those on Fristo, but they were scattered. He had the one, you know, tank job, home run there. But, uh, yeah, again, good effort. Uh, looking at the hitting numbers, and there are a lot of names in the box score. But Luke Hancock, one of your heroes, uh, two for four on the day with two RBIs and two runs scored. Uh, Tanner Leggett, uh, two hits and three at-bats, three RBI, a couple runs scored. That, that will work right there. That's efficient. He's actually leading the team in home runs and batting average, three of six on the year. It's for a cool, crisp 500. And it says, Steve, it's early. Yes, it is. It's still 500. Uh, Matt Quarter, 0 for 2 yesterday, but still had a couple of RBIs. You know, and again, we talk about non-productive outs. Excuse me, productive outs. Excuse me. Yeah, he didn't have a hit to show for it, but he moves runners around. He gets the baseball in play that allows us to advance runners. Uh, does have the one walk, too. Uh, Bray Skinner, of course, uh, 1 for 2. Jess Davis in relief, 2 of 2. For him, two for two. That's really good to see. Uh, Brad Cumbus, one for one in his at-bat, drives in a couple, drives in a run, and uh, ends up scoring on a walk as well. So he had two at-bats, reached base safely both times, and scored. Um, so Lane Forsythe also one for two with a couple ribbies. And so you like to see guys get ABs and have some success. And you, when you run up down here and you start looking at the starters, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, they're going to give you some runs. If you let them, if you don't go up there and swing at balls out of the zone, these guys will walk the ballpark, especially in the midweek games. The state pounds out uh, 13 hits and the 17 runs, 16 RBI, uh, nine walks, and just four Ks. That's pretty cool too, right? 30 at-bats and just the four strikeouts. Left nine on base, but, uh, you know, when you get 17 runs in, it's kind of difficult to complain about that. But, again, some missed opportunities, and nobody's ever going to be perfect with that. But the reality of it is we needed a lopsided win to kind of get our legs stretched a little bit, kind of begin to feel better. And, again, you know, we played Long Beach State, who is clearly a very good team, expected to be an NCAA regional team, potentially a host team, uh, in our first weekend. You know, we could have gone out and played Wesley College, like some other people did, but we didn't. Now, we'll do that this weekend. You know, we'll, we'll play a team this weekend, and we'll preview that later in the week. Uh, that we should be able to kind of stretch our legs a little bit and, and we should be able to sweep. Uh, the reality of it is is that Mississippi State is a team that uh, has Omaha potential. I don't think there's any question. And I think we're still kind of figuring some things out. Takes some time. It does. Look back at last year. Again, if you've read Dogpile, there's some names you read in the early part of the book that were starters that didn't start in Omaha. 
because Chris Simonis is willing to make the change. I like a coach that's not too stubborn or set in his ways. I absolutely do. So there you go. Again, uh, Northern Kentucky, or is it North Kentucky? Let's get that right. Northern Kentucky will come in this weekend. Uh, And, again, we'll preview those guys on Friday. But, uh, you know, again, you begin to think about, you know, the difference in the two programs, that sort of stuff. I don't know if you guys know this, but um, they're the Norse. Norse, N-O-R-S-E, the North Kentucky Norse, kind of like the Vikings. Were you aware of that? Have we ever played a Norse team? I don't think we have. Requires some little research that I'm not willing to do. I don't have time to do it. But I don't think we've ever played a nickname Norse. It's the first time for everything. I know the Kentucky 0-3 on the year 0-3. They will not play a midweek game, so they'll be well-rested. But um, they gave up some gaudy numbers uh, over the weekend. What is it here, 38 runs? Yeah, 38 runs in three games against East Tennessee State. It's not like they went and played uh, LSU. So should be an opportunity for us, again, uh, to put some big numbers up. And, uh, you know, again, advance the record and kind of keep us where we need to be. That's that's the thing. It's getting better, getting some ABs for these guys, and then allowing Goat and Fox a chance to kind of get film with these guys and then kind of tweak in a little bit. That's what coaching's all about anyway. It's in-season and in-game adjustments, and we've got uh, perhaps the best staff in the country when it comes to all of that. Let's thank our good friend Blair Chandler, longtime friend of the show, longtime friend of mine. Uh, matter of fact, I was in Madison yesterday, and he has to send me some snide message about not coming to see him. Very, very needy. Very, 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 very needy. Uh, but here's the thing, too. You've got needs that need to be met. Blair can hit them. You need to have a friend in the industry. And that's the thing. There's so many things out there in life that are a little bit complicated, maybe a little bit above your head. And you think you know. And sometimes you have to show humility and say, you know what, I need some help here. That's where Blair Chandler comes in, a mortgage professional. A lot of people in the mortgage business, Blair is a mortgage professional. 21 years in the industry a top 1% close ratio in the country, not just in Wiggins, not just in Bug Tussle, not in Possum Neck. It's everywhere. Works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five lenders in all of the mortgage lending business. Recently voted number one, customer satisfaction and mortgage experiences. Pretty cool. So you got the top guy with the top company and a guy that's willing to work with you because uh, he sees you as family. And here's the deal. If you mentioned to Blair, you heard about him on the show, Mentioned, hey, Blair, Boneyard. Heard about you on the Boneyard? He's going to pay for your appraisal. It's $500 value. A lot of fees associated with getting a loan closed, whether you're buying a new home or refinancing. And a lot of people say, well, Steve, what about refinancing? I don't understand. Maybe I don't want to do that. Well, you know, maybe you're looking to consolidate some debt or get some cash out to do some home improvements. Get your equity working for you. Take advantage of the low rates right now because with all the uncertainty in the world, you never know when it's going to change. Chances are going to change sooner rather than later. Let me give you his personal cell. It's 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. That's closewithblair.com. Okay, so we were set to do the country Mississippi State walk-ups today. We're going to actually push that back to Friday. Okay. Uh, Chad Gomillion reached out to me on Twitter, and you know I was already kind of leaning this this direction, and I thought, you know, I don't know if anybody would get this other than me, you know, maybe a few of my friends that wore flannel and patchouli in the early '90s, 
Um, but Chad Gomillion says, hey, Steve, any chance of calling an audible on the top 10 Wednesday and doing a Mark Lanigan top 10 uh, at least sometime soon after hearing his passing today? Lots of great options from Screaming Trees and Queens of the Stone Age. You're absolutely right, Chad. I agree with you. And I, I, was in, I was already leaning that direction. You pushed me over the edge. And so those of you that don't know, uh, Mark Lanigan, a pioneer in uh, grunge, uh, great friends with the guys in Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and they've done a lot of work with Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl actually has sat in and recorded an album with Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, Kurt Cobain did some work with them in a uh, kind of a, a local, kind of a hodgepodge band called Jury. But Mark Lanigan and Screaming Trees, those guys in many respects were forerunners. They had recorded, I guess, five albums before they had their first major release. And so they, were, in many respects, were real pioneers of the genre. And Mark died yesterday and uh, released by his family. And, and uh, Mark is a guy that had struggled extensively with alcohol and narcotics. Matter of fact, his heroin addiction got so bad, he got such major infections that his arm had to be amputated. That's how bad it was. Guy, an incredible songwriter. He's written some amazing things. Um, you know, he's just one of those guys, too, that was kind of multifaceted. He's a guy that's done some poetry. He's a guy that's written some prose. He's not just limited to being a great singer. An incredible voice, too. Very different. And so I say this, even though that I knew Mark Lanigan and the guys from Screaming Trees were great friends with Nirvana. For those of you casual fans of grunge, and I'm talking about you, you folks who went to Hot Topic and you buy Nirvana shirts, you want to look cool like to your parents' friends. Okay, you need to listen to this list today. Because these guys here were, were recording albums and selling out venues in the Pacific Northwest before Nirvana had a record deal. And again, no disrespect to Nirvana today. You know, I'm not a fan. But if you like the grunge stuff, and, and there's so much of it is kind of grunge-liked, you know, it's kind of radio-friendly. If you like that stuff and you really want to know where it all started, you go back to Screaming Trees and Mud Hunting and the Melvins. But Mark Lanigan was in the middle of every bit of that. There were many people in the Seattle scene that felt Mark Lanigan and Andrew Wood were the most significant artists in the early grunge movement. And I would have to absolutely agree with that. Uh, their first major album uh, was produced by Chris Cornell of Soundgarden. So again, it's, you know, friends helping friends. And so, uh, Mark, may you rest in peace. Here is our top 10 Mark Lanigan songs. And again, some of these are solo stuff. Some of it is Screaming Tree stuff. Some of it is Queens of the Stone Age. And Queens of the Stone Age, if you're unfamiliar with them, very, very, very interesting band. Very, very interesting. They absolutely did it their way. A lot of weird stuff with it. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. 
So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Um, and the arrangements are very, very different. Uh, so be sure and check this out today. So again, if you're one of these wannabe grunge people, and I mean that with as much love in my heart as I can muster, if you want to put on your Nirvana shirt and flannel shirt and walk around and, you know, in your Chucks or your Doc Martens or whatever, and like, hey, I'm grunge, uh, I've got pictures that I can show you of when I was actually living through that. I didn't watch it on VH1. I didn't go pull up a YouTube video. I was in college and all this is happening, like many of you. And so we embraced it and, uh, you know, shout out to our friends in Hattiesburg and the old defunct band Eulogy of the Dog and all of you that went to Tal's Dart Bar, which they changed it to Tal's Music Emporium, which is kind of lame. But, uh, but nevertheless, we were there. We were there. We also went down to New Orleans to watch many of these bands play when they made a southern trip. And so um, we didn't go to Spencer's Gifts and Hot Topic to buy our shirts. We bought them at the show to support these guys and uh, support their efforts uh, in music. And many people say, well, Steve, it's such a conflict. I mean, it's like you like grunge, but, you know, in many respects, grunge killed uh, the 80s sound. And I don't know that I agree with that. I think that the record companies did that. I think the record companies that had gotten lazy uh, trying to have these cookie-cutter, you know, Revlon rockers out of the West Coast were looking for something new. They had allowed that scene to get bloated, and next thing you know, there was just movement in the Pacific Northwest that really changed a lot of things. And it only lasted about 15 minutes. It did. You know, to hear some people say today, it's like, oh, you know, it was great. And it was, but it didn't last long. It didn't. You know, it's kind of like that, uh, you know, the beef Mexi melt from Taco Bell. It was great. Now it's gone. You know, you can't even get it. You can't even make it yourself. It's completely gone. All right. So here we go. Mark Lanigan, top 10. Uh, number 10 from one of his solo albums. This is the Mark Lanigan band. Really cool guitar here. The tone is really cool. The opening riff gets your attention right out of the gate. It sounds a little uh, Queens of the Stone Age-ish, but it's the Grave Diggers song. Like the vocal in this one, too. 
Uh, really cool. Now, one of one of the coolest songs that has a much different vibe from just about anything else in the catalog is One Way Street. That's also a solo joint uh, from Mark Lanigan. One Way Street is uh, much different. And I, I think, again, it just kind of shows his versatility and his work really as a poet and a songwriter. Number eight, from the Queens of the Stone Age, it's the feel-good hit of the summer. And again, that's kind of a you know play on words there. It's one of those things they know they're not going to have the big hit. And I think the beauty in bands like Screaming Trees and Queens of the Stone Age is like, sure, they'd love to have some money, but they never sold out. They were true to themselves. They did it for the art. They did it for the fact that they had some you know, creative pursuit they wanted to, to satisfy. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for people like that. Uh, number seven, uh, Black Sun Morning. That's a Screaming Trees song. Uh, probably one that many of you don't know quite as well. It didn't get played on MTV, so you probably don't know it. But it's a bit of a deeper track. It's one of my favorite Screaming Trees songs. Uh, number six, we're going back to Queens of the Stone Age. It's the way you used to do. Again, very, very clever writing here. The vocal performance, flawless. And again, it's a little different. Number five, Go With The Flow, Queens of the Stone Age. If you played Guitar Hero, maybe you played this one. It was on one of those, rock band or Guitar Hero, whatever. It's a great tune. One of their more well-known songs. Got some radio play with this one. Uh, number four. And so this, again, a Screaming Tree song that actually got some play on MTV. Because like what happened, you know, MTV used to be music television, right? Now it's like a you know, 24-hour um, ridiculousness and then hair care commercials or whatever. Um, but we, you know, we used to have 120 minutes and the next thing, you know, a lot of the bands that we saw in 120 minutes were in regular rotation and Screaming Trees was one that maybe didn't break through, maybe like Nirvana or Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, some of those bands. But this is a song that was pretty popular. It's Bed of Roses by Screaming Trees. Bed of Rose says by Screaming Trees. Um, number three, one of the most difficult arrangements, I think, in the history of music it's threes and sevens by Queens of the Stone Age. It's so different. It's like when you're, you're hearing it, you're just grooving along. Next thing you know, they change it up. You know, that they're changing up the measure to change up the rhythm. It is, it is a wild song. And uh, it's, again, just kind of shows the playful nature of Mark Lanigan and these guys, too. I mean, they're creative geniuses, but it's like we don't take ourselves too seriously. So we're going to call a song threes and sevens, and we're going to kind of play it that way. Really cool song and uh, one that I really like. My favorite... Queens of the Stone Age song is it's number, your number two song. It's uh, No One Knows. No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age is a great, great track. And again, I love that opening riff. You know, there's just so much about that too. That like For me, like 10 seconds into a song, I kind of have an idea if I'm going to like it or not. This is one of those from the very first time that I heard it. I was like, what is this? It's pretty cool here. I think you'll dig it. Number one though. And again, I give Chris Cornell some credit for this too, for kind of bringing out the genius in Mark. It's nearly lost you. I nearly lost you there. Now, Mark is not the vocalist of Chris Cornell or Eddie Bedouin. Uh, completely different. Completely different. Wore the flannel, had the long hair, had the Doc Martens, all that cool stuff. But he wasn't some poser. This guy was a real artist. And it's sad that we've lost him so soon. And, uh, you know, my hope is when, you know, they haven't revealed the cause of death. Not that it's our business. I mean, honestly. But a lot of times when people die young, there's always some kind of, you know, difficult circumstance, you know, and death is always difficult. But you understand my point. It's like you know, when you have somebody that lives to be 85, 90 years of age, you say, well, you know, they lived a long and full life. 
Mark lived a short and full life, too, and uh, was pretty much known for his epic, reckless lifestyle in the Seattle scene, which is one of the reasons I think Screaming Trees did not have the notoriety that many of their contemporaries did is because of the fact that, uh, you know, he was true to himself, good, bad, or indifferent. And I think living a life of excess uh, really took a toll on him. So my hope is, is that we find out that he died clean and sober, but uh, he'll be dead either way. But the bottom line is we're going to celebrate his music today. And again, if this is a band you're unfamiliar with, let me encourage you. If you don't know Mark Lanigan, if you don't know much about him, Listen to the list today, and I think you're going to be like, oh, hey, you know, I hear some elements of Pearl Jam. I hear a little Nirvana in here. I hear, Well, it's because these guys were doing it. You know, they were doing it early on. They were really kind of the innovators and influencers of the, of the scene, one of, you know, for sure. And so I don't know that they've gotten their just due. So, you know, sadly, Mark is gone now. And, uh, you know, his genius songwriting is behind us now, too. My hope is there's some unreleased material that perhaps they'll make public again. Uh, but the reality of it is, is he's passed away far too soon. And that's the thing about the grunge scene, too. And it, it, nobody wants to talk about this, but the reality of it is, is that there was all this morose and this depression and that sort of stuff. And that's what fueled the movement in many respects. It's like, hey, we're not, we're not those pretty boys from, you know, from, you know, from West Hollywood. Yeah, you know, we're just a bunch of dudes up here where it rains all the time. We have to drink coffee to stay awake. And, you know, we got our flannel and our stuff on, and we're just, you know, trying to make our own way. And so we went from having a very image-conscious rock scene to having one where image didn't matter. And so these people shared their pain. And if you go back and listen to all of it, this is about all the grunge music. It's very depressing. And that's kind of one of the reasons it was short-lived. Uh, not just because some of the artists were short-lived, but also, too, I think people, you know, at some point, like, I'd like to feel good about life again. Well, I mean, does it always does it have to rain all the time? Uh, but that's kind of what happens with these guys. It's like, okay, we're depressed, we're depressed, we're depressed. We have some success in notoriety. Now I can go to therapy. Now I can pay the rent. Now I can eat every day. Uh, I can get better drugs or whatever. And then all of a sudden, it's gone again. And so it's like, now we're back to being those same dudes again. And it's been difficult for many of those guys to adjust. And so wish the best for him and his family. And again, please check out the list today. That's Mark Lanigan, former singer of Queens of the Stone Age and Screaming Trees. Be sure and check those guys out. Let's thank our friends at Campus Bookmark for the next segment of the show. They're my friends. They're your friends. They're everybody's friends. I love them. They're like family to me. When I go in, I get a hug. I get a hug and a handshake from everybody. You probably will, too. The hug may not linger as long, you know, because you don't have that long-standing relationship like I do. Maybe. Maybe you won't. I don't think it's just because I'm special. I think it's because I have long hair and tattoos, and people, you know, like, hey, let's get a hug. Let's hug it out, bro. All right. So, anyway, you go check out Campus Bookmark. You'll be glad you did. Great Mississippi State merch. I spend a ton of money in there. Every time I go in there, I have to buy something for the grandkid or, you know, for the kid, you know, there's always something going on that uh, I'm thinking, hey, that they would love this. And, uh, you know, for those of, you know, I got a couple of college girls at State that uh, there's no end, you know, to what they're willing to accept as a gift, you know, from dad. So uh, excited about the future for both of them. But uh, we'll leave, they'll leave Starkville with a couple suitcases full of Mississippi State merch from Campus Bookmark. You need to load up your family and rep the brand as best you can by going to campusbookmark.net and by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete.
All right, tonight we're going to play South Carolina and men's basketball. The Bulldogs won two in a row. Exciting, for sure. We needed to win those two. You know, we're still kind of, you know, have work to do, to say the least. But, uh, you know, South Carolina is a team that we are more athletic than. We have finally won a game on the road. Finally. This is one we should be able to get. Iverson Molinar attracting a lot of attention defensively, as you can imagine. You guys have seen it, too. The reality of it is somebody else is going to have to step up and help carry some of the scoring load, uh, to say the least. Garrison Brooks really emerging uh, as a guy that can uh, do some things down low, but also, too, in the mid-range. Pretty exciting stuff. All right, so let's take a quick look at this. Quick look at South Carolina. Since we have seen those guys, they've been kind of up and down. That's what you kind of expect. And you wonder, too, you know, is Frank Martin safe? A lot of people have talked about Mike Ritchie from Furman uh, being a candidate for that job. We'll see how that progresses. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. That's a name, too, that a lot of people expect him to be a guy that's uh, going to have some opportunity. South Carolina 16-10 and 10 overall and 7-7 seven and seven within the conference. But, uh, you know, since we have seen them, let's take a quick look. You know, we get them 78-64 here. And really, they made a late run to make that game look a little more competitive, and it really wasn't. I thought State really outclassed them. The next game, they lose 81-57 to Tennessee in the Colonial Life Arena. They then get beat by 10 at home by Kentucky. Pretty good effort there. They win at Georgia 80-68. Nearly everybody wins at Georgia. And then they win on the road in Oxford over South Carolina, 77, over Ole Miss, excuse me, 77-74. Very interesting game. If you recall, there was a half-court shot there at the buzzer to win the game. And then they beat LSU at home, 77-75. So winners of three in a row, they have been better as of late. Now, that said, they were on a three-game winning streak when they came to Starkville. Not exactly sure about the matchup here uh, favoring those guys. I think if we go out there and play up to our potential, we will win this basketball game. They will then play Alabama, Missouri, and Auburn down the stretch. So if you're Frank, you're looking at the schedule and saying, okay, probably going to be tough to win those two road trips to Alabama and Auburn, but you should be able to get Mississippi State and Missouri at home. I'm sure that's their mindset, which would make them 9-9 and in the league in 18-12 and overall so we're going to get their best shot there's no question about it let's take a quick look at the stats and see who's doing what for these guys quickly team numbers here uh, they've only outscored opponents by 60 points on the year considering their, their weak non-conference schedule uh, that's not really significant but they have a 2.3 uh, point differential they're outscoring teams by just over a basket I expect this to be a closer game than what we saw in Starkville uh, but I don't – If again, if we played our potential, I don't think it comes down to one possession. Uh, from a shooting standpoint, 692 of 1608, they're shooting just over 65, nearly 66% from the field. However, opponents are shooting 69%. That's nice. Uh, 69%, which means people are getting looks. People are getting play in a post. They're able to make a lot of those shots that are easier to convert. So not a great defensive team in many respects. 
Teams are also getting to the line with greater frequency, 15.7 free throws per game. Uh, South Carolina, just under a dozen. Rebounding has been a bit of an adventure, too. Just a narrow margin for these guys. They have a cool, crisp 1,000 rebounds, averaging 38.5 per game, out-rebounding opponents less than three, 2.7. State is a good rebounding team. And a lot of that, too, is because of the system. You know, we don't really get out and defend the perimeter exceptionally well. But we kind of pack the middle uh, to get those rebounds. From an assist standpoint, 13.9 per game. They're allowing 13.2. So, really, a, about a one assist differential between them and opponents. They are turning the basketball over a good bit. But they are a team that will beat you back in transition. They're turning the ball over 15.1 times per game. Opponents, 15.6. So, it's pretty much, you know, Pretty much a even situation there. 17.4 points off turnovers per game. Opponents uh, just under 16. Blocks, and again, this all you, you look at all these numbers, a higher shooting percentage, getting out-rebounded more times than not, less blocks. They're averaging eight blocks. Excuse me, eight, excuse me, steals here. I don't know how in the world did I get on that. So 208 steals on the year, eight per game. Opponents, 8.3. Blocks, 127. They've allowed 91. It's going to be a pretty decent environment, I would expect. I'm looking forward to seeing the game. we got to win this game. There's no doubts about it. we got to win this game. Eric Stevenson leading them in scoring with 11.4 points per game. Uh, Jermaine Cousinard, the guy to hit the big shot to beat Ole Miss, 11 points per game. James Reese, the fifth. Not a lot of fifths out there. 10.3 10.3 points per game. Devin Carter, 9.3. And then Keyshawn Bryant, 8.7 points per game. So a, a pretty measured, balanced offensive level of production here. Uh, you know, Looking at the numbers here, Wildens, I'm, I'm going to mispronounce this, so forgive me. Uh, it should be Levacue, but I don't know how he pronounces it. 24 blocks, which leads a team. And then A.J. Wilson, second on the team with 18 blocks. Uh, you know, per game. Leading rebounder for them, also Wildens, 123, and then Eric Stevenson, 117. So these are guys that will get out there and try to compete. You know, but the numbers are pretty balanced. This is going to be a team, too, that uh, you know, from an athleticism standpoint, after watching us play against them, I think it truly favors us. And unless we go down there and give them the basketball game, I think we'll win the ball game tonight. But this is not a team that we can take for granted. This is a team, obviously, that is very, very talented. Um, but I don't think they're as talented as we are. Frank Martin is probably an unheralded coach in many respects. And I know that there are a lot of people out there, the bloom is kind of off the roads. You know, it just seemed like a few years ago they were turning in the right direction and Frank Martin was the feel-good story of the year in college basketball. Uh, it's not really happened that way this year. You know, that's, that's kind of how things happen. You know, you have, you know, a pretty good run there, and they just haven't been able to build upon it. Uh, Frank is a guy, too, that is a, you know, very fiery guy. Guys overcome a lot of adversity in life. So his team is going to play with some real toughness. And after we embarrass them the way we did in Starkville, I am confident they're going to come out and try to punch us in the mouth. I think you guys probably understand that as well. So we'll see how things progress. Let's look at the SEC standings right here and kind of get you guys ready you know, for this home stretch here. Only a handful of games left. Not a lot of room for us to move up. You know, we've got some opportunities against some teams that uh, are kind of similarly situated as us, and we have some winnable games. 
but when you look at this deal, it's just one of those things where <clears throat> we're right there kind of in the meaty part of the curve, right there at 7-7, seven and seven, right there with South Carolina. They're 16-10, and 10, we're 16-11. and 11. But we'll start at the bottom. Georgia, of course, 1-14 in the league. Overall, 6-22. and 22. If you're Tom Crane, you're probably already you know, packing up. Uh, Missouri, 4 of 11 in the conference and 10 of 18 overall. Very competitive game against Mississippi State on Sunday, but you expected that. You played, you know, two, two games in three days against the same team. Uh, you're going to see some adjustments that uh, allows a team to improve. Ole Miss, 4 and 10 in the conference and 13 and 14 overall. A lot of questions about will Kermit Davis be back next year. I suspect he will be. They've had some injuries this year. And if you're Ole Miss, I mean, the Ole Miss job really – it's not a better job than Mississippi State. And so if you have a team that is similarly situated, do you really want to go out there and um, you know chase the coach this year? Probably looking at coaching changes at Georgia, Missouri, uh, and Mississippi State. Uh, Vanderbilt, 6-9 and nine in the league and 14-13 and 13 overall. A&M has really fallen on hard times. They were you know, really pushing hard up there in the top ten. They lose to Kentucky. They're 6-9 and nine in the conference, 17-11 overall. Florida – a game that we wish we had back, a game we should have won. They're 7-8 and eight in the league and 17-11 and 11 overall. They've had some big wins down the stretch, and I would submit to you, even though we are similarly situated record-wise, that they are a team that is probably considered more likely to make the tournament than we are. LSU right there at 7-7, seven and 19-8 seven, and eight overall, and again, a game that um, we let get away from us. Alabama 8-7 eight and, eight and seven in the league, 18-10 and 10 overall. Tennessee, 4th in the league, 11-4. Twenty and seven, tied with Arkansas. That's a big win for us early on. That has recently been upgraded from a quad two to a quad one win in the net. Eleven and four in the conference and twenty-two and six. Arkansas has kind of found a sense of themselves down the stretch. Uh, Kentucky eleven and three, just a game out of out of first place. Twenty-two and five. Auburn, of course, still leading the show. Uh, Twelve and two, twenty-four and three overall. So we'll get to see those guys up close and personal here recently. But the reality of it is. We are right there in the mix of being in that, you know, next four out. So we're still seven or eight spots away from being in the field. So we got to win some games. We can't just sit here and wait for the traffic to clear around us. We have to go win some games. And when you look at what's left on the schedule, you know, there's just the four games left. And I submit to you, we could, we potentially could win three of the four. I do not expect to beat Auburn. I just think that is an athletic advantage that they have. I don't know that we're going to match up well with those guys. So you got to win the rest of them. You got to win at South Carolina. You got to beat Vanderbilt at your place. You got to win at AM. Again, so we're asking this team to do, you know, two more times what we've only done once this year, which is win on the road. But let's say you find a way to win those three. You win those three, you're in the tournament. I, I believe that. I think that is probably uh, what what needs to happen. 19 and 12 overall and then 10 and 8 in the league. I think that gets you in. I don't think I really don't think there's a lot of question. Now let's say you go nine and nine. I think all of a sudden you're really, you know, you're treading some dangerous waters. You're eight and ten. You're out. And there have been a lot of times that we've left this team dead and buried. I believe Ben Howen probably coaches with his best back against the wall best. We're not a really good front running team. I think we're a team that you know we kind of grind it out. We like the fact that we're a bit of a blue collar team, but we're going to have to grind out some games here. You lose. One of these games you're expected to win, you're really leaving it in the hands of other people. Got to take charge here. And I don't even know if winning three of the four guarantees that you're in. I feel that you're in. 
It depends on kind of how things shake out around the rest of the country here. But let's say you win three of four and then you win a game in a tournament, I think you're absolutely going to be in the NCAA field. And after some of the things that have happened this year, and, you know, again, we have really struggled to pick up a signature win. We still don't have one. So we're just kind of an above-average team, you know, trying to find a way to work our way in. And obviously, you win the last four, you're absolutely in. But, uh, you know, that Auburn game, that's just one you look at. And I just don't think I'd give our team much of an opportunity. But tonight, it's a 5.30 p.m. tip. That is an SEC network game. I'm sure you'd be wanting to find that and check it out tonight. Again, it's 5.30 uh, South Carolina. If you're in the area, please uh, turn out and go support the Bulldogs. I know they appreciate you being there. And then, of course, Saturday, uh, we're back at Humphrey Coliseum uh, for a noon tip. Be sure and check us out then. Of course, that's going to uh, kind of bear up against the, uh, the, bat- the baseball game. And I've just been informed the uh, Friday signing, Friday signing, um, we're, let me look here. Friday signing is 11.30 to 1.30. Now, that may last a little bit longer. 11.30 to 1.30. That's the uh, Friday signing at Barnes & Noble on campus. And, of course, we'll get everything, uh, you know, knocked out. And uh, they got some books for you guys to purchase. So be sure to come check me out uh, over there. Kind of, you know, breaking news right here on the show. Let's thank our, uh, our good friends at Portico. Uh, love those guys, man. They're good people. They do a great job, and they're doing their best to bring this great residential development to Starkville. Many of you already call it home, and maybe it's a second home for you. Maybe it is the home for you. Maybe it's, uh, you know, what you're going to do is a ball game weekend retreat. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm tired of dragging all this stuff back and forth from home. I like to have a place to keep all my tailgate stuff, have a Mississippi State man cave or whatever, you know, and that almost maybe a little bit disrespectful. We have some ladies that are as, as big or bigger fans than their husbands, and so maybe you want to decorate the living room in Runa White too. Be sure and do that. Our friend Brooks Bryan, part of this great group that's uh, making Starkville a better place to live, making it a better place to work. Uh, Brooks a guy that wore the uniform, so he understands how special this community is to everybody. Uh, you can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home, and then up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home a great place to live, for sure. Love the convenience of being that close to campus, 1.1 miles away, easy access to 82 and 25. Phase one completely sold out. Phase two, we're getting there. We're getting there. Construction underway there. And again, it's one of those things, too. It's funded by Bulldogs. It's built by Bulldogs. And it's going to be lived in by Bulldogs, too. So your neighbors are going to be Bulldogs. How cool is that? So you don't have to ride around and see some uh, smarmy neighbor with an Ole Miss flag up there right? It's M over S all the time. Give Brooks a call today. I'm going to give you, again, that's what we do on the show. We, uh, we're family so we can trade numbers. It's 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. We missed it earlier. And before we get into segment two, I didn't award the prime shrimp player of the day. What's clearly Tanner Laggett. You know, Tanner Laggett's a guy too. We've talked about, we've given the numbers. Uh, Tanner Leggett is a guy that does an outstanding job for Mississippi State. Tanner Leggett does what he's asked to do. He started at third, he's played at short, played at second, played in the outfield. Uh, he's just one of those guys that uh, loves wearing the uniform and has had some success at the plate. And again, it's interesting to me that you've got a reserve that is leading the team in home runs. 
So Tanner Leggett, your prime shrimp player of the game yesterday against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, a lot of our fans over on Gene's page have already purchased and received some shrimp and have eaten it and uh, are enjoying it tremendously. We're proud to partner with the New Orleans-based Prime Shrimp to bring you guys some delicious and easy-to-cook shrimp that you get delivered straight to your door from primeshrimp.com. It's very well packaged. It's very well cooled. So if it gets delivered while you're at work, you're not going to come home to a big stinking mess. You can just grab it right out of those pouches and put it right in the freezer. They've been peeling shrimp in New Orleans since the 1940s. They're proud to debut an exciting new product for you to serve restaurant-quality shrimp at home in under 10 minutes with none of the usual fuss or cooking. You don't have to devein the shrimp. You don't have to peel them. It's outstanding. Just take the pouch of pre-seasoned shrimp, drop it right into boiling water, and you have a meal ready in a few minutes without all that messy prep. Order at primeshrimp.com and get it delivered straight to your door. Use promo code BONEYARD to unlock some savings for yourself. That's promo code BONEYARD at primeshrimp.com. Try it today with a risk-free purchase. If you don't love it, get your money back. And as a guy that lived in South Louisiana, it's nice to be able to get some great seafood from down there. I don't know if my palate is a little more refined than other people's, but the reality of it is, is I like to be able to do business with Louisiana companies when we can, uh, when it boils down to seafood. You'll be glad you did. That's player to game, Tanner Leggett from primeshrimp.com. Okay, so let's... Uh, Getting into this women's basketball preview, uh, you know, Doug Novak is a guy that uh, a lot of people like. And, again, the bloom is kind of off the rose a little bit. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, this has got to be the guy. You know, our ladies are playing really, really hard. We just don't have enough of them. You know, we just don't have enough of them. And it's not anybody's fault. You know, I, I guess it's the fault of some people that perhaps, uh, you know, you aren't playing, you know, but you never know what those people are dealing with. But, you know, we've had some injuries this year. We've had some personal issues we had to deal with. Um, it's been a crazy year, but, again, I commend these ladies for making something of the year. Just two regular season games remain. We're at Tennessee. And, again, it's a 530 tip. That's going to be an SEC Network Plus. You can watch it on the app. So, I guess maybe if you have a smart TV, uh, you can watch one game on the TV and then watch one game on the app. Pretty cool stuff. Two ball games going on at once. A lot of rooting interest today. Tennessee is uh, kind of becoming Tennessee again. That's the thing you look at, too. Uh, real quickly, let's look at the SEC women's standings and kind of see where we stand. Not where we were recently. But, again, I think many people see anything that we do on the women's side right now as a bonus. Bottom of the league is Auburn 2-12, and 10-15 and 15 overall. Johnny Harris, that's what he's having a very difficult time. Vanderbilt played really tough early in the year. SEC schedule has kind of beaten those ladies up. 3-11 and 11 in the conference, 12-16 and 16 overall. A&M 4-10, 14-12 as Gary Blair uh, plays his retirement, coaches his retirement season. Alabama 5-9, 14-11. Kentucky 6-8, and, and that's a game we wish we had back. 13-11. Uh, they're right there with us. We're 15-11 overall, but we're right there with them as a big, meaty part of the curve. We're in the middle of that. Missouri, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Kentucky, all 6-8 and eight in the league. Georgia right there at 7-7. Seven and seven. That's a team early on that people thought, hey, this is kind of a dark horse in the league. Hasn't really worked out as well for them. Uh, Florida has now leapfrogged Ole Miss. You know, we played Florida. They were just kind of figuring some things out. They're now a shoe-in for the tournament. Ole Miss, 9-5, 21-6, certainly going to be in – uh, at that record, but uh, not what they once were. Florida, of course, 10 and 4 and 20 and 7, right there with Tennessee. Tennessee 21 and 6 overall and also 10 and 4. 
LSU, we gave those ladies all they wanted, and then some, and just simply ran out of gas. 11 and 3 in the league, 23 and 4. A team to watch in the NCAA tournament. And in South Carolina, number one team in the country, 13 and 1, 25 and 1 overall. The one loss came to uh, Missouri, who we split with. And what is it about Missouri? They always seem to find a way to give South Carolina some trouble out there in Como. So, Tennessee, take a quick look at these ladies as you guys kind of prepare for the ballgame. Uh, a lot to look at, a lot to think about for sure. You know, Tennessee is a proud program. They're a team that uh, you know, kind of set the gold standard. You know, for many years, it was either UConn or Tennessee. Uh, they have done a great job uh, this year, for sure, absolutely restoring the tradition uh, to the program. So we'll make that trip up there, and uh, that has been a house of horrors at time for Mississippi State. Uh, so we'll see how things progress. But they have lost two in a row. They lose at Alabama and then lose to South Carolina. Uh, competitive games, but they weren't able to finish. So let's just start with SEC play and kind of work our way down, I guess. But, um, you know, they begin the year blowing out Alabama. They, they sneak by Arkansas in Fayetteville. They blast A&M, 73-45 in Thompson Bowling Arena. They go to Oxford and beat those ladies 70-58. That was a big matchup early in the year. Vanderbilt, they get those guys, those ladies 65-51. Uh, they win over Kentucky 84-58. They beat Georgia, I wouldn't say handily, but uh, you know, probably with a little room for, for, for error at 63-55. They lose to Auburn, which is so wild. You know, Auburn's had two huge wins. And they hadn't had a whole lot to cheer about this year, but that was certainly a big one there, right there in uh, Auburn too. Uh, they win over Arkansas, 86-83, very competitive game there. They lose to Florida, 84-59. Now, again, that's right when Florida was beginning to make their run, the early part of the uh, – of the month. They go to Hartford, Connecticut and play UConn and get reminded that they're not quite there yet. UConn beats them 75-56. And this is a UConn team that is really, really good, but probably not as good as what they've had in recent years. They take down Missouri 76-62, and then take down Vandy 66-52. They sweep the series there. And then, of course, they've run upon this two-game losing streak. So can Mississippi State make this game competitive? Uh, that's a million-dollar question. I think for three quarters we certainly can, but our depth has been a real issue as teams have kind of gotten in our legs uh, in the fourth quarter. So I don't expect to win the game. Uh, and, and I hate to have the old you know 1970s and 80s Mississippi State mentality. I'm just kind of hoping to keep it close. And I think at this point, too, I think most people expect that we're not going to make the tournament. We had played our way on to the bubble and then on the right side of the bubble – and now here we are, you know, kind of scuffling late. And, again, it's, it's a long season, and eventually people, you know, they figure you out. And Doug Novak and his staff, which is kind of, kind of pieced together, you know, among people that are working hard uh, to make Mississippi State a better place, you know, have done a commendable job this year. But the reality of it is is that, uh, you know, we're getting down to the end of the regular season. We're running out of opportunities uh, to prove our tournament worthiness. Uh, so, again, we'll see how things go tonight. But, again, not expecting to win in a game, hoping to win on Sunday. Be a nice, nice situation there. Maybe leave the baseball game, go over there and cheer for the ladies uh, on senior day to give us an opportunity. I had to close this thing out on a positive note before we head to Nashville for the SEC Women's Tournament. Uh, again, a lot of people keep asking about, you know, Doug Novak. I do not expect him to get the job, and I haven't expected it for a while. When we had that great run, I think he was making it interesting. But I think now you look at it and you kind of realize, okay, this is probably not best for us long term. And it's easy when we're prisoners of the moment. 
you know, we put together a three or four game winning streak. Well, yeah, absolutely. Let's stick with the people, you know, dance with the one that brung you, as they say. You've got a really good opportunity here to make some big things happen. And then these things happen. Then you start losing some ball games. And, of course, you know, the quality of competition is picked up a little bit too. Uh, but the reality of it is, is I don't think this is sustainable. That's my personal opinion. Uh, you can call it an educated opinion if you want. But the reality of it is, is I fully expect us to make a permanent hire that is not Doug Novak. Now, if Doug wins these last couple ball games, make a run in the SEC tournament, possibly get to the dance, you know, maybe you reconsider. But I think at this point, the focus is to bring in a existing staff. We've talked about that before. I do firmly believe at this point it will be a complete G5 staff unless, you know, somebody stays behind, maybe they promote from within. Uh, so you maybe have an opportunity to hire another assistant coach. Who that is remains to be seen. But as I shared with you guys before, I want a coach that has a system. You know, we had that with Vic Schaefer. We had somebody that, like, you know, I, I love – there's always – well, you know, you build your team about – you build your philosophy around what your team can do. Uh, I don't know that there are many, many people that truly win that do that consistently in basketball especially. You know, when you've got maybe a running quarterback in football – you kind of put some extra wrinkles in to kind of accentuate and highlight their athleticism. In basketball, you do what you do. And Vic was here. You ran a bunch of full-court press, and you worked in transition uh, defense, and you made people pay. And by the time they, they set up a half court, it's difficult to run their sets because they're just not a lot of time to run. And so I want somebody like that, you know, somebody with a proven system on both ends of the floor that, that maybe perhaps is not so – independent on athleticism where you need people to make individual plays, where you can have people play within the framework of a system and win a lot of basketball games. I am confident that we're going to make a good hire here, and then we'll see what happens on the men's side. A lot of people are asking, you know, Steve, we're going to make a change. I don't think it's been decided. I mean, I think the reality of it is, is, you know, we've got seven years, and we don't have a lot to show for that. Now, has Ben Howland put Mississippi State in a better situation? There is no question. We're a much better program than we were when he arrived. But have we fulfilled our expectations? And I would venture to say no. And I don't think there's much argument against that. We have not lived up to our potential. And we have recruited well at spots. You know, you said, well, you know, we're not elite. We're not. And I think it's kind of the chicken and egg thing. I think you've got to be able to go out there and get some big players. But, you know, we had some legacy players on the men's side, uh, you know, that have done a good job for us. But even then, we couldn't win an NCAA tournament game. So we'll see. I don't think that search, you know, you know pretty much at this point that there will be a change on the women's side. I don't think you know for sure there will be one on the men's side. What if Ben Howland and them get hot down the stretch here and you make a tournament and you win a couple of games? Uh, well, then I think you've got a decision to make. But I think at this point, if I had to make a bet on it, I would say we're probably going to make two coaching changes. If I had to make the call today, I don't really want that to be the case. You know, as, as many people are like, oh, you know, Steve, you're anti-Howland. That's not true. I'm pro-Mississippi State. In every sport. And getting the postseason is, is imperative. It absolutely is. I mean, would we – let's say for an example on the baseball side, you know, the sport that we hold so near and dear to our hearts, because we're a baseball school, and it, there are some people that aren't willing to admit that, they don't like it when we say that. We are a baseball school. If we went seven years and didn't win a regional under the same coach, wouldn't you want to change? Of course you would. If we went seven years in football and didn't make a bowl game, would you want to change? You absolutely would. You absolutely would. And so let's say you get to one bowl game in seven years and you lose it, and it's like, well, 
you know, that's the reality of it. You know, it's, it's, this is not the Boy Scouts. This is the Southeastern Conference. It's not like the Pinewood Derby where everybody gets to go home with a medal. You know, you got to get out there and go earn it. And so we have to look at the full body of work. We have to look at how the program is trending. It'd be one thing if, hey, we, this is year seven, but we're a shoe-in for the tournament. You know, we're playing for seeding right now. But again, here we are again, kind of sweating this thing out, wondering if we're going to be in the tournament needing you know, to win three or four down the stretch just to kind of stay in the conversation. I have higher aspirations for Mississippi State Athletics than that. I do. You know, this past year we were all kind of sweating out of a bowl game, like in football. I told you guys at the beginning of the year, I think we're probably a seven and five team. I think six and six is the floor, eight and four is probably or yes, eight and four is probably the ceiling. We finished up seven and five. That was the over under. And I thought that was a positive step. You know, you win four the year before, you win seven this year, you get to another bowl game. You know, the thing that I go back to is, you know, we got to find a way to beat Ole Miss too. We're not going to make a decision. That, that's not the biggest factor. If that was the biggest factor, we wouldn't have hired, fired Joe Moorhead, right? Joe beat Ole Miss back-to-back years and got us to two bowl games. The only coach in the history of Mississippi State Athletics to beat Ole Miss in back-to-back years and lose a job. And so some would say, well, you know, we've never had somebody lose three in a row and keep her job, you know. Uh, I haven't done the research on that. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But let's say that, you know, Mike Leach goes 8-4, and 9-3 and three next year, and you lose to Ole Miss. That guy's not losing his job. It's not based on one game. Now, when you're struggling, you know, when you're a 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five type team, 5-7 and seven type team, you better beat Ole Miss. But the reality of it is, is, you know, when you look at the fact that we've had seven years, and you've got a pretty good – it's not a snapshot anymore. You've got a pretty good idea of who you are and what the direction the program's going to be. And so I share that with you because I think, you know, again, we're thinking, oh, if we could just make a tournament, I just don't think making a tournament's enough. I think making the tournament is the minimum standard. I think that you just to, you know, just so we talk about the team, you're making, you know, winning some games keeps us in the conversation. I think making the tournament keeps Ben Howland in the conversation. Does that make sense? If you don't make the tournament, there's no decision to make. Zero. I don't think you take a trip to the NIT. I think you may you decline the invitation and you go uh, move on and bring your new coach in and start installing a new culture. And I've read some people say, well, let, let the players decide. You know, I'm okay with that too. Maybe let George Brooks coach him. I don't know. But the reality of it is, is that, um, you know, seven years without a single NCAA tournament win, it's just not enough. It, it's simply not. And so We'll see how things progress. And it all starts tonight. You win the night, you remain in the conversation. You keep hope alive for the tournament. You keep hope alive that we don't have to make a coaching change. You lose tonight, all of that takes a big step back. All right, thank you guys so much for being uh, such loyal listeners. You guys have been outstanding, and I appreciate uh, everything you guys have done. I'm going to get ready and uh, put some shoes on and then uh, drive a Tupelo and go sign some books, come back, pick up the kit, go to dinner. Day's kind of planned out for me, and I'm going to watch the Bulldogs. Excited to see the Bulldogs play tonight. Hope you guys are as well. Got a couple things that, uh, you know, we're rooting for. And if you're looking to buy books, let me encourage you. Uh, Dogpilethebook.com can take care of you. If you're more comfortable buying it to a local bookstore, I would encourage you to do so. It's pretty much everywhere now in the state of Mississippi. We don't have a lot of penetration on the Gulf Coast just yet. Um, they can order it for you, though. They can. Pretty easy to get. But uh, Barnes & Noble and Ridgeland, of course, uh, College Corner, uh, they're in Ridgeland and Flowood, Lemuria Books there in Jackson, Lorelei Books in Vicksburg, 
outstanding place there. Of course, Turn Road, Book, Turn Road Books and Greenwood, I love them to death. Um, and then Barnes & Noble, of course, in Tupelo. Uh, Reed's Gumtree Bookstore in Tupelo, where I'm about to head now. And then all over the greater Starkville area. And let's not forget Tamara. Tamara's signing 2-4 to four in Columbus at Friendly City Books. Excited that. A lot of first-time uh, stuff for me, and that's because you guys have had such interest in the book. And a lot of people have said, Steve, you know, how, you know, how many you sold? Well, about 5,000 so far on our way to 25 or 30,000, you know. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of people have said, hey, I need to get the book. We're going to run out of the first printing very, very soon. We were hoping to make it to March. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. Matter of fact, we're having to kind of put some cases of books aside to be able to get some of these book signings. Uh, so again, I'm going to encourage you, if you live in the greater Mississippi area, uh, to you know procure your books from those folks. You know, again, you can uh, order online, um, and that's always something you can take care of, especially being an out-of-stater, and we're happy to take care of that. But the supply is about to be exhausted. But don't panic. We're going to have some more. Matter of fact, everything's been sent in. It's going to be a new cover. There's going to be it's going to be the same cover, but some different graphics on it. And uh, been some changes. You know, we're still finding some things. I have people that reach out and say, hey, Steve, I don't know if this is right. 99% of the time it is, but occasionally I miss something. And so we're able to go back and fix that in subsequent printings. And so there are some things we've already submitted for the second printing. We're already making a list for the third one. It's just kind of how life works. Uh, but sure, be sure and go check it out, dogpilethebook.com. While you're there, you get copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you're looking at the Blooms of Oleander, you can order that online at Amazon. Encourage you guys to do that as well. Uh, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and some people are, every time I wear a Stark Villains shirt or hoodie, people always ask me, see, where'd you get that? Very easy. Uh, StarkVillains.com. You can get those uh, shirts and hoodies in a variety of colors and styles. Uh, thankful for the fine folks at Deep South Pout that take care of that for us. And again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a shop, eat, and uh, be local kind of guy. So I want to bring as many people along with me as we possibly can. So great to be able to partner uh, with some great Mississippians in all the endeavors that we have. If you're not a subscriber to jeanspage.com, I encourage you, you should be. And you can have uh, all these questions that you have about coaching searches, recruiting, uh, behind the scenes, team news. You can find it at jeanspage.com. That's it for today. Be back on Friday. We'll preview that great series coming up with Northern Kentucky and hopefully talk about a couple of wins in Mississippi State basketball. Hopefully that's the case as we preview uh, you know, the weekend as well. A lot of preview talk on Friday. Until then, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.